The scripture this morning is from the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift it is to gather and worship, to sing your praise, to celebrate life, to celebrate you. I pray that we would see it as that. I pray as we enter this Christmas season, we might slow and notice and pause to rest in the reality that we celebrate a God who is willing to step down, to be born like us, to live like us. Father, I already pray for the, those who will attend the Christmas Eve service. Not only ours, Lord, but all across this city, people will gather in churches. I pray you'd be preached. I pray your Holy Spirit would turn hearts, change hearts, redeem hearts. May you not only work through Stonebridge, but through the many, many churches that surround us from Crossway and Harvest and Mech and Elevation and Mallard Creek, Lord. May you be preached both this day and that day. Now, for this morning, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to your word. I pray that you would use this jumbled mess to remind us why we are here. That you would call us, that you would train us to live into the righteousness that is ours in you, Jesus. I pray this in and through the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I love this season. Okay, I don't, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I love Christmas decorations. I love Christmas lights. I said it last year. I'll say it again. I just, I, I love the reds and the greens and, 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 and those, the little lights, right? They just glow. I love the glow of a soft yellow light. LED lights, not so much, unless you can get the ones that have that nice yellow glow, right? For me, there's just this warmth. Of Christmas, but I realize that might not be the case for everyone, right? Perhaps it hurts to see them because it brings back wounds. It brings back hurt. It brings back trauma. Perhaps it reminds you of brokenness, 
of sorrow, of a loss of home, or of darkness. Our hope for this series that we're calling Supreme Hope is to see the fact that God uses these things for his glory. It's it's to point to the light, to point to the healing, to point to the joy, to point to the comfort that comes not in spite of these things, but through these things. See, the light breaks into the darkness. The healing comes through the brokenness. The joy sustains as we find home and the comfort rests in the sorrow. See, the supreme hope is not a hope that escapes but it's a hope that carries us through the storm. That's what we find in Christmas. That's what we find in the meaning of Christmas. The supreme hope that the light will shine, that healing will come, that joy will come, that comfort will come. Now this morning we're looking at a very famous passage, probably one of the most famous, and for this series we're going to go through some of the Isaiah prophecies, but today we're in Isaiah chapter 9, and this prophecy, this declaring of something to come, is a promise that light will break in the darkness that surrounds us. In the midst of the darkness, light will come. I think that's why I love Christmas lights, because in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the night, You have these little beacons of hope. You have these little beacons of light. They act as promises of the light to come, in my opinion. They're like cracks in the veil, where the light of Jesus begins to seep through into our world. If you're a Doctor Who fan, it's like the crack in the universe. If you know what I'm talking about, that's the episodes with Matt Smith. He was the best doctor, but we're not going to get into that argument right now. He... Doctor Who is a time lord, meaning he's a lord of all time and space. And there's this season where there's this crack in the universe, and they don't know what it is, but there's this light seeping from it. There's something seeping from it. And it turns out to be the time lords returning. And so when we look at Christmas lights, I I, I hope that we see it's light and darkness. It's light seeping through, not only of the past coming of Jesus, but his second coming where the King, the Lord of all space and time, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, will come. They're like little flares telling us, help is coming. He is coming. So Isaiah 9 is is, is about that light. And really, Isaiah 9 is all about the unexpected, all about the unanticipated, all about the unforeseen. Of course, the people expected a Messiah, but they didn't expect this Messiah. They didn't expect the form that he would take. They didn't expect the place he would come from. They didn't expect what he would do when he got here. And yet it was fortuitous that he would come. So Isaiah begins to tell the people of God about an unexpected honor, an unexpected light, and an unexpected hero. Now right off the bat, in the first verse, we see this unexpected honoring, this unexpected honor. And it really begins earlier in chapter 8. That's why he uses the word nevertheless, because he's going back to something. And what's happening is he's talking about the people that have been submerged into the Assyrian captivity. And he's pointing back and he's talking about it was their sin that caused that to happen. 
That was the start of being thrust into the darkness. So in verse 1, we read of God humbling. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. What's important here to understand is these in the region of Israel, these were the northernmost regions, right? So when Assyrian entered, that's the land they took first. Any, any kingdom that was coming from the north, I mean, these guys had it rough living up there. They were always the first ones to go. So they're the first ones to be taken into captivity. They're the first ones to be captured, to be occupied. But what's unexpected is that God would still bring the honor from that region. See, for, for, for Israelites, that was the backwater. That, that, I mean, Jerusalem, that was the city. I mean, it was like um, Gastonia to Charlotte or... Uh, <laughs> I'm from Ohio, so it was, it was like Kentucky to Ohio. Or it, it, it was the reason that you're like, there's no way the Messiah is coming from there. No way. No way that's happening. What we see, though, is a humbling that happens, being forced into captivity for their sin. And it, it, I mean, they lost land, they lost lives, they lost their livelihoods. This was lost, but it wasn't the end. In fact, what we see and what's so unexpected is that through this gift of being humbled, God's honor has room to shine. I think perhaps this is an opportunity for us to change our perspective on the way we see hard things in life, on the way we see difficulty, on the way we see suffering, on the way we see trying times, storms. As Paul writes in Romans 5, we glory in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and that hope does not put us to shame. It's an opportunity for us to see the lights a little bit different this season. It's also an opportunity to understand and grasp that not all suffering is done to us. Some of it's self-created. Darkness, brokenness, homelessness, sorrow are not only things that happen to us, they can be things that we willingly step into. We allow, we protect that little corner of my heart that I don't want anybody else to know about, but I want to hide it. One author puts sin this way. I really love his definition. He says, the human propensity to mess things up. Sin is the human propensity to mess things up. Now, he's British, and he doesn't have any uh, reservations about using a different word there, but it's accurate. It's the human inclination, the behavioral tendency to make messes of the things around us. And often, rather than allowing the light to shine into the darkness, we move a little bit more, we hide a little bit more, What's unexpected is the fact that God would bring honor out of that. That God would bring light out of this self-created darkness. And what's even more unexpected, again, is the location. He uses the word Galilee of, nation, of the nations in there. Again, because it was the, the Assyrians took it over. It was the region of the nations. But that's where the light would shine. Surely nothing can good can come out of Galilee, right? But in verse 2, we see a flash of light. We see an unexpected light. Not only in where it comes from, that it would be, that it would, but, but that it would come to a people at all. 
who, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. Now, when we talk about light, light often signifies truth. It often signifies life and justice and, and righteousness. We kind of inherently know this, that light signifies truth, right? Because, I mean, even as a kid, you can be in your bedroom and there can be this hideous monster in the corner, but you turn the light on and you realize it's just a pile of clothes, right? You want to make a haunted house not so haunted anymore? You flood it with light. Light reveals what we try and keep in the darkness. Light also brings life. I don't know about you, but too many of days like this, and I'm grumpy. I get grumpy, but give me a good sunny day to just soak in the light and, and a good book, and, and man, my mood changes. This is what's coming. And, and this is a fraction of the joy explained. When we experience a sunny day, it's a fraction of the joy explained that we see in verse 3. The, the, the illustrations are the best of times for the people of Israel will come. And still it's an unexpected light because he's not simply referring to some sunny day. He's referring to the light, to Jesus. If we skip ahead in time, Jesus shows up. If you read John, John talks about the light coming in the darkness. And Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. The, the beacons of light, the cracks in the veil, the cracks in the universe, are not just some light shining through. They are the light, Jesus. And so as cheesy as the saying is, Jesus is the reason for the season, it's accurate, right? It's so true. So, so then Isaiah goes on to, uh, to, un to unpack and talk about the oppressor and the warrior. Every, roots, every warrior's boot used in battle, destined for burning fuel for fire. He goes on to say that it will be destroyed. And he sets the stage that this unexpected hero, or this unexpected light, is the unexpected hero. And in verse 4, he sets it up when he talks about Midian's defeat. Now, you might not be familiar with this story. This is the story of Gideon. You find this in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. And if you know anything about this time period, the, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. So God calls Gideon. And Gideon has 32,000 men at his disposal for war. Right? There's, I don't know, probably 350 or so people in here. 32,000 for war. God's like, yeah, no. Nope, too many. I'm going to whittle that down. You're going to go to battle with less. Why? Because I want to show that the victory is mine. I am the one that brings victory. I am the one that brings light. Not because you had the most numbers. So long story short, God narrows down the army from 32,000 to 300. And if you read the story, they don't really do much. And they still win. Unexpected hero. Gideon was an unexpected hero. It's like Frodo. Nobody ever expects a hobbit to do anything in the grand scheme and machinations of Middle Earth, right? There's your token Tolkien reference. <clears throat> Bingo for anybody that's playing that. The question is, how will this freedom come? How will this defeat take place? How will this rescue come? The unlikely hero of Gideon is the clue. Chapter 6 is the declaration. A child, a child, a kid from the backwater of Galilee 
where all the trouble started. He will be the light in the darkness. And just in case the people were thinking that Isaiah is just talking about some random kid, he ascribes names to this child that were only and can only be used to describe the divine God. When he says in verse 6, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's saying this is no ordinary child. His counsel and his wisdom is astounding. His might is superior. His love and care as father is perfect and endless. And his peace as prince will know no end. What we see in this unexpected hero is the theme of Scripture, the great reversal. We see that when God responds to power, when God responds to oppression, when God responds to hostility, to pride, to cruelty, he doesn't respond as another warrior to break the yoke, the burden, but he responds as a child. You see, it's in and through weakness that God reveals his strength. One commentator puts it this way. I love this way of describing it. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of this world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. To be crushed under the foot of the bully and yet to rise as the one true king. So the, the, the question for us is how will we respond? How will we respond to this God-man, this child king? The, the, the passage goes on to say his gov- the government will be on his shoulders. Greatness of his government. Peace will have no end. He will reign his kingdom, up, uh, establishing it, upholding it, justice and righteousness. I think the question for us is, have we allowed the child king to take over the government of our lives? So what is it for you? It can be really quick and easy to go, yes, I have. Yep. When I was six, I said the prayer, gave my life to Jesus. And yet, if we know anything about darkness... If we know anything about our human propensity to mess things up, it is good to pause and reflect in our own hearts, could I say yes to that and still hide? Could I say yes to that and still keep a corner of myself for my reign, my kingdom? Could I say I give my life to him, I worship him, and yet my life reflects my worship of me, of money, of comfort, of family? Because, again, often when the light first flashes, and the great light that's talked about, the word word there is like, just like a boom of light. Like, it's not like a little candle, but it's like a floodlight shows up in the Galilee of nations. And often when that happens for us, you're inside on a really bright day and you step outside, what do you do? You, you kind of squint your eyes, you, 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 you shield your eyes, right? We put sunglasses on. Out of instinct, we turn when somebody shines a, a flashlight right into our eyes. Probably a good thing to do. 
But with our hearts, it's not always the case. It's not a good thing to do. The light can be shocking. The light can be jarring. The light can be startling and unexpected. The light can be warm, but it can also be hot. On cold days, right, you come inside if your hands are cold and you run them under lukewarm water, doesn't it feel really, really hot? So where's your heart? Where, where are the corners of your heart that you need to say, Jesus, I got to give you this corner too. I, I got to give you this space in my heart that I've been holding on to, that I've been trying to be king over. I think the call for us and the takeaway for us is to begin basking in the light. To bask in the light. To soak in the light. To soak in Him. How do we do that? There are a bunch of ways. One I want to encourage you to is what we're doing here and now. What we do here. What we do when we sing, when we pray. When we worship communally, have you ever imagined and thought about the fact that we soak in the light? We bask in the light when we sing and pray and listen and eat? All acts of basking in the light. And then we're sent. Because you're not only to soak in the light and remain in your little corner and in your little group and in your little same like-minded group, we are called to go and be the light to the world. Jesus says, you are the light. So we go and we reflect the light. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world around us. You and I reflect this light to the world when we, we bring dark to light we let this light shine before others so that they may see our good works, our beautiful lives, and see we are but a reflection, the source of that light. This means being open with your life. This means being open with your heart. It means being vulnerable. It means being transparent. It means being humble to reflect the king who showed up as a child. The biggest sign of vulnerability. He had no control when he stepped into this world as a baby. And yet he is the one that brought light into the darkness. He brought truth to falsehood. He brought justice where there was injustice. And he brought grace and mercy to the undeserved. I want to end with this. Wherever you are, maybe you're someone who's just, yeah, I, I, Jesus is a good teacher. I get that. I want to encourage you not to leave today without pondering the fact that we profess that God stepped into this world to be light into the darkness. Give your life to him. If you're one who does worship him, one who claims him as divine, as king, I want to encourage you to bask in his light and let that light search your heart. 
calling forth vulnerability, calling forth transparency, calling forth openness to the areas of our heart that we might still hide in the darkness. Maybe because we're afraid to admit it. And finally, go this Advent season, this Christmas season, and be the light to the world around you. Live out that same vulnerability that we see in the Christ King, the Child King. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would make us instruments, agents of your peace. Where there is hatred, may we so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, may we reflect light. Father, I pray as we approach this table that we would see the beacon of light and the beacon of life that this table is. I pray we would see this moment, this, this, this time, this space as a small crack in the veil, a small crack in the universe where your light shines and we get a foretaste of the light to come where there will be no need of a sun because you will be the light and warmth in our world. In your name we pray. Amen.